Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. All right, let's start on a positive note. Uh, last season, I think the Milwaukee Brewers engaged and embarked on what I believe might have been the worst trade in, certainly in Brewers history. And there have been a couple bad ones where they took Josh Hader, who really, while he was going through a bit of a rough patch, is probably the premier relief pitcher in Major League Baseball. And they traded him for a starting pitcher that they immediately cut. They started. They traded him for a relief pitcher who stunk. And they traded him for two minor leaguers, one a pitcher who may never, ever pitch in the major leagues, and for an outfielder who can really run, but nobody thought he could hit. And he, So that's the four people that, that they got. It's just by any stretch of the imagination, it was an incredibly bad trade. Well, all right, you, you always have to evaluate stuff. Yesterday, the Brewers participated in a three-way deal, and they ended up getting – now, they needed a catcher desperately. So they ended up getting a young catcher from the Atlanta Braves, a catcher who – not sure what his defensive abilities are, but he, he was an all-star as far as his hitting. His name is William Contreras. They traded – they got Contreras – essentially for the outfielder that they got in the hater deal. And they got two other uh, pitchers who, I don't know, it looks to me like they're just kind of just guys. But the bottom line is, if you if you look at this and you break it all down, the Brewers traded Josh Hader, and they at least got a starting catcher that will be with them for the next couple years, and it appears to be a starting catcher that can hit. Now, I'm not saying that still makes it a very good deal, but it makes it a lot better deal. And kudos to new general manager Matt Arnold from the Brewers for being able to, you know, really, you know, take take a deal that originally was chicken you-know-what and turn it into kind of uh, at least at least chicken salad a bit. So I think the Brewers deserve credit for that. They needed a catcher, and that's how you have to look at it. They essentially now, they traded Josh Hader for a starting catcher and for, they still have a couple pitchers, two pitchers came in, and one guy's still there. They may or may not make the major leagues, but you've at least got a starting catcher. So you have to, I think, have a little bit of perspective for that. All right, if you follow me on Twitter... It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Posted a couple different things since we last spoke. But one one was a, a just a, a clip, and a number of news channels had this. I happened to post the story from Fox 6. Story involves a, a reckless driver who this happened yesterday afternoon. Apparently what happened is you had a car that was speeding, high rate of speed, going down, wait for it, capital drive. The car... The driver of the car lost control, and the, the car goes airborne, and it rolls over. I mean, just think how recklessly you have to be driving a car to get it to go airborne and roll over, and it crashed into a parking lot of a business a laundromat near 79th and Capitol on Monday. And so there's all sorts of videos of this, and you can see it. it it's 
There's no reports now on whether the car was stolen or not. You know, we'll get more of that. There's no reports of whether or not the person who was in the car was able to to get out and whether they've been arrested. We don't know any of that. All we know is it's another situation where this car is upside down in a parking lot. Apparently, metal was flying so much that it broke out the window at a nearby store. But again, another one of these examples where it's really but for the grace of God that somebody isn't dead because, you know, here you have a situation where, and this, you know, where somebody just, again, completely and totally loses control of the car. Um, they do think that the driver was, was drunk when they ended up doing that. Wouldn't surprise me at all. But it's just a miracle that, again, somebody isn't killed. But this is 79th and Capitol. And you've got this car that's flying down the street, and it ends up upside down. This is unfortunately not not the first time that this has happened, and it's not the first time that it's happened on Capitol Drive. There was a story that one of the news stations, the TV stations, did uh, in the last week or so that said that just objectively, looking at the number of fatal accidents over the course of the last two years, Capitol Drive and Fond du Lac Avenue were one and two, not in that order. I think Fond du Lac had one more fatal crash over the last five years, and and they were far and away, at least in terms of fatal crashes, they were far and away worse than the next two, which was one with Silver Spring, and I forget what the other one was. But, you know, when I used to work on Capitol Drive, and that's where our studios were located, it, it was not a joke. I mean, the people I worked with always talked about how they felt that they were taking their life in their hands when they pulled out of the old Radio City building and had to go west on Capitol Drive to get to the freeway or catch other connecting sort of streets because you just never knew what was going to happen. And the farther west you get on Capitol Drive, the worse it ends up getting. And here's another example of this. You know, 79th and Capitol, car going airborne it's being driven at such a high rate of speed it ends up upside down and you know it's just again a miracle that there wasn't a pedestrian there or a car that was in the way or whatever i want to start the conversation off by talking about you know what's been going on when it comes to reckless driving and as somebody who grew up around here i mean i can remember when if you wanted to go from where I grew up in the North Shore, and you wanted to go you know, west, you wanted to go to Wauwatosa, or you wanted to go to Brookfield or whatever, you had a couple options. You could get on the freeway, go downtown, and go out west, or you could take some of the major east-west streets, whether it was North Avenue or Burleigh or Capitol Drive or Hampton Avenue or Silver Spring or Good Hope. You had all these different choices as to ways you would go. And I think that for many of us, There's just no way that we would consider doing that nowadays. Again, saying, all right, let's start. You want to go from our old studios on Capitol Drive in Humboldt. You want to drive out to like Highway 100 and you want to take Capitol Drive the whole way. I think a lot of people would just say, not on your life. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Here's my question. What do you think is the most dangerous street in the in in this in southeastern Wisconsin, I mean, I, I won't narrow it to the city of Milwaukee, but the most dangerous street, that street that maybe you used to drive back in the day, that no way in heck you would go on this now, whether it's the reckless drivers, um, whether it's the stolen cars and the reckless drivers, whether it's the pedestrians running out in the road, whether it's the concern that you stop the car at an intersection and somebody's going to come out and stick a gun in your face. The most dangerous street 
around this area that you avoid like the plague. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a minute. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, another day, another spectacular car crash, this time on Capitol Drive. If you want to see the, the pictures of the aftermath, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 But it's a car driven by apparently a 20-year-old guy who they think was drunk, high rate of speed. The car goes airborne on 79th and Capitol. It flips over. It ends up upside down in the parking lot of a laundromat. Metal is flying all over. Apparently one of the Windows or glass doors of a nearby business is busted by this, and it's just a miracle that there wasn't somebody on the street or there wasn't somebody in the parking lot. And again, this is the type of stuff that happens on an almost daily basis all across the area. And it really got me thinking, because as somebody who's spent most of his life here and all my adult life here, the idea that you know you now have these streets that we used to take routinely, whether it's, again, North Avenue or Burleigh or Hampton or Capitol Drive, or Silver Spring, all these streets we normally used to use as alternatives to the freeway. Nowadays, you know, is there anybody in their right mind who takes Capitol Drive, for example, if you want to go from, say, Shorewood out to Wauwatosa or whatever, you take your life into your own hands. And my question is, all right, what do you think is that most dangerous street, that street that there's just maybe you used to drive it, but no way that you do it anymore? Jeff, there's too many to narrow down. Isn't that sad? I used to drive to my daughter's uh, dorm on North Avenue straight east from Wauwatosa. Had to start taking 94 east of the lake and up and around. We just couldn't chance it anymore. And now I wait for 94 to get shut down because of a shooting. So which way do you go now? Um, yeah. Um, Jeff, I avoid the streets um, on the north side of Milwaukee so much that I moved to Cudahy. I also have a job where I drive all day long, and I pick and choose long-distance runs so I don't have to drive several streets in the city of Milwaukee. I will work 10 to 12 hours outside of Milwaukee County instead of working eight hours in the city of Milwaukee. Um, Yes, Jeff, northern Milwaukee County is like a cross between the wild, wild west and road America. Only the drivers have no skill. I would agree that Capital Drive is the most dangerous, and I try very hard to avoid, but I try very hard to avoid all of the major east-west routes between Wisconsin and Good Hope whenever possible, and still take extra caution when driving on Good Hope or Brown Deer Roads by necessity. Um, yeah, Jeff, great topic. Thanks. I'd say Capital Drive or Hampton, and it can go um, and it can go as far east as Shorewood. A year ago, I was at a cleaner's in Shorewood, and three teenagers tried to steal a car with a child in it. Owner left the car running. Next day, I was at a Mercedes dealership on Silver Spring telling about this, and the service tech told me that the... Um, that a woman client was held up there at gunpoint. They stole her car, belongings, and phone. She was mortified as no one would help her, and she had no way to re- release the police, to reach the police, etc. The city is getting frightful. I had to drive down Capitol the other day. I'm new here and prayed all the way out to Menominee Falls. Um, there was an accident on 94 West, so MapQuest redirected me. Yikes. Jeff, I used to drive uh, to see my sons at UWM from the north, taking Capital Drive. We quit doing that in the last two years. Um, yes, Jeff, 
that car incident you're talking about, there was a person outside sweeping when the car flipped. The person went running. I am sure they were very um, upset about this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's true. Jeff, any north side diagonal street, intersections are too big out west. Grantosa area is a nightmare. Jeff, my answer is Capitol Drive which some of us call Capital Raceway. I've been an Uber Lyft driver in the city for a couple of years, but recently had to give it up completely because of literally near-death experiences on Capital and elsewhere in the northwest side. It's unfortunate because it was good money. Jeff, for me, it's Tetonia Avenue from Capital driving south. Um, yeah, you've got that as well. Um, and, and it goes on. Jeff, for me, it's Locust Street. Jeff, I um, let's see. It's got to be Capital, Fond du Lac, or Hampton. Um, no, there's just no question. Jeff, where do I start? As a retired fi- firefighter, I never had a problem driving through the city while in uniform. I drove through the other day in my regular civilian clothes. I was scared to death. I would say, you know, the, the entire area. Jeff, all of Villard Avenue, Silver Spring is almost as bad. And it goes on and on and on. I bring this topic up. Not to scare people, but to point out this reality that is there. No, years ago, we used to be told, well, when you talk about crime in the city of Milwaukee and reckless driving, there's this perception, you know, and, and the perception isn't the reality. Nuts to that. This is the reality that is out there. And it's it's really it's a cautionary tale for people in city government. You know, if you get to a point where you have people that are afraid to travel through your city, and I would argue if if you're afraid to take some of these roads there's a good reason for it it and again if you're if you don't care and you don't mind cars you know passing in the the right lane if you don't mind cars driving 75 miles an hour if you don't mind people you know going 100 miles an hour and going airborne if you don't mind the shootings and stuff that that's fine you take that risk but a lot of people just simply make the choice that they are not going to do that and as a result of that you know that that's how cities die it's when people do not feel safe traveling through them. And you have seen this. Look, there's always been a couple, quote, unquote, bad neighborhoods in the city of Milwaukee. That hasn't changed since I was a kid. What you are seeing now, though, is that this is expanding. And it's expanding and it's expanding to the point that you try to take major thoroughfares. And I'm not talking about just, okay, like there's a, there's a six-block area that you may, not, may need to be scared about. This this was 79th and Capitol. But Capitol outside of our old radio studios and Capitol and Humboldt, which is, you know, what, about 100 blocks away, that, that was just as bad. And, you know, the way – so if you say, Jeff, what is the solution? Well, I'll tell you what the solution is. You, you need – you need to flood the area with police officers. You need to be aggressive with the enforcement. And then, of course, you need to have prosecutors that will prosecute the people. And you need to have judges that will have consequences. Now, because just having the cops arrest people isn't going to make any difference. But, you know, we're going to have to start doing this or else people are simply going to say, all right, let's treat areas of the city of Milwaukee like escape from New York. Let's just build up giant fences and law-abiding people won't drive on the streets. And what does that say for the businesses? And what does that say for the people who continue to live on those streets? They deserve better than they're getting. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. More Jeff Wagner right after this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's take that road before us and sing a chorus or two. 
Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Welcome back, Jeff. The irony of this is that I never see police on Capitol Drive until after the accidents or collisions. But I also know that if police do patrol there, what good will it do? The reckless drivers will run from the police, and even if they are caught, what happens to them? Nothing. There is an element of truth to that. That's why you got to flood these high-crime areas with police, but you also have to have a concurrent commitment from the powers that be that you're going to prosecute the reckless drivers, you're going to take their vehicles, and you're going to put them in jail, even if that means that it's juveniles as well. But until you do that, you're never going to have, you're just never going to have, you know, safety, just never going to be safe. Um, all right. Now, it, but it's not just driving the car. Here, here's th- this other story. Okay, Glendale. If you can picture, it's Hampton and Port Washington Road. There is, there's a Holiday Inn there. And as a matter of fact, I, I know the Holiday Inn well because there was a restaurant that I used to go there all the time. And one of my real good friends used to stay there before he moved back to Milwaukee and he was coming here to, to visit. Here's the story. Nearly 30 cars broken into at a Glendale Holiday Inn. All right, 28 vehicles had their windows smashed early Sunday morning. So this would have been Saturday night, Sunday morning, around 3 a.m., 28 cars had their windows smashed at the Holiday Inn Riverfront on North Port Washington Road. 28 cars. One of the victims said, well, they tried to pop my front glass with a spring-loaded puncher. That didn't work, but they still uh, partially broke it and totally smashed by my back windows. So you've got 28 vehicles that were hit. These are all guests that are staying at the hotel. Police determined items were not missing from most of the vehicles. So let's let's understand what this is. Three o'clock in the morning, on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, you have people who just went into that parking lot and essentially just vandalized the cars. This doesn't appear to be, hey, we're going to try to steal the cars. They just decided to break the windows and bust out the cars, the windows of the cars, for the sake of fun or whatever. So you've got all these people. Presumably a lot of people are in town. Um, you know, you're probably not staying at the Holiday Inn if you live around here. So that's a great introduction to Milwaukee. Park at the Holiday Inn in Glendale. Come out, 28 cars vandalized. And I don't know what the answer is other than to say when you catch the punks who do this, what you have to do is you have to hold them accountable. But in the meantime, it, it really, to describe Milwaukee as the wild, wild west, as I say frequently, is to insult the wild, wild west. 28 cars vandalized just apparently for fun. And so you're going to have people with one, two, three thousand $3,000 worth of damages to their cars, and you think they're going to want to come back to Milwaukee again? I think not. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. A week ago yesterday, here's the story. A stolen car involved in a police chase in Cudahy that reached speeds of 100 miles per hour later crashed Monday afternoon on Lincoln Memorial Drive near Veterans Park in Milwaukee. Here's the story. Cudahy police were called shortly after noon by a man, this was a week ago yesterday, by a man who said three people inside the car. Now this is 12 noon, last Monday. Cudahy police were called shortly after noon by a man who said three people inside a car pointed guns at him near the intersection of South Whitnell Avenue and East Grange Avenue. The caller gave a detailed description of the vehicle, and within minutes, officers spotted the car and tried to pull it over, according to the press release from the Cudahy cops. The driver sped off. 
heading northbound on I-794 from East Edgerton Avenue, going more than 100 miles an hour. Did I mention again, this is slightly after noon, prompting Cudahy police to stop chasing the car at East Howard Avenue in St. Francis because of safety concerns. In other words, the car was going so fast that they just said, okay, this this is crazy. You know, if we're going to chase, it's going to put us in jeopardy. It's going to put other people in jeopardy. So they let it go. Well, the car did not stop driving in a crazy fashion. The car then crashed near Veterans Park along Milwaukee's lakefront around 1224 p.m. So it's down here, you know, at, it, it's going through essentially downtown at, at 1220 on a Monday afternoon. Witnesses said before the crash, they saw it run red lights and flip over. Two men, ages 23 and 24, and one woman, 19, all from Milwaukee, were arrested after the crash. Inside the car, which was stolen out of Illinois, investigators found two guns. Now, it, it gets better in just a moment. So let's let's review the bidding here. 12 noon, you've got this car in Cudahy that is stolen. You've got three people in it that are armed. They are pointing guns at people on the street. Um, what happens is they call the, the cops, find the car, they try to pull it over. The car takes off at a speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour, driving so fast that the cops don't think they can safely chase anymore. And then a few minutes later, 1224, the car ends up in a high-speed wreck down by Veterans Park in Milwaukee. All right, so they do. They arrest two guys, 23 and 24, and they arrest a 19-year-old woman. Now, they determined that, yeah, about a three-mile pursuit, speeds topped 115 miles an hour. What they say is that after the vehicle, it was an infinity, rolled over, the people ran from the vehicle. So they're fleeing on foot. One was found walking on Brady Street with blood on his clothing. When they arrested the guy, he told police he got into a fight with his significant other. That explains the blood on the clothes. Other guy was found pinned under the vehicle, and the woman was found near the Veterans Park Lagoon. She said she was on the phone and kept looking over her shoulder at the squad car. All right. The car was stolen out of uh, Skokie, Illinois. There were two guns that were inside, along with, wait for it, crack cocaine and heroin, which, again, so now we, we understand maybe more why these people run, because... High-speed chase, they've got crack cocaine, they've got heroin, they are armed to the teeth, they are pointing weapons at people, and they end up fleeing. Now, in, again, surprise follows surprise. Let's see, the driver faces one count of possession of a firearm by a felon, one count of disorderly conduct, one count of possession with intent to deliver heroin, and one count of vehicle operator fleeing to elude the officer. All right, the woman faces a count of possession of heroin with intent to deliver, and the third guy, possession of a firearm by a felon, disorderly conduct, possession with intent to deliver heroin. Okay, so two, the two guys who are armed, or at least there's guns in the car, um, in addition to the high-speed chase, they are felons, so they are not legally allowed to possess firearms in the first place. So, all right, they, they get arrested, they've now been charged, so the question becomes, all right, bail. The, the driver, this is the guy who um, convicted felon, the gun, led the police on the high-speed chase, possession with intent to deliver heroin, stolen car, cash bond, $20,000.
$20,000. The male passenger in the car, felon in possession, the heroin, the cocaine, part of the chase, he got $5,000 cash bond, 5000 And the woman, who does not have the felony record, um, she received a $2,500 signature bond, which, for those of you who don't know how this works, a signature bond, you don't have to put up a dime. What you do is you say, okay, I promise that if I don't show up, I will pay $2,500. So it's essentially... This, uh, don't worry, I, 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 you don't make a determination of whether they're good for it or not. Don't make any determination about whether you can elect it. They just turn her back and let her loose on the streets. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, as far as I know, both of these convicted felons who were involved in this incident that I don't think, at least at this point, either one of them has posted bail. But certainly in the case of the one guy with the $5,000 bail, that is not, an, especially if you're dealing heroin and cocaine, that is not a particularly large amount. Heck, $20,000 for somebody who's been charged with possession with intent to dis- deliver you know, heroin, that is not a large amount of money. So my question is, you know, these, these, have we learned nothing from the Daryl Brooks case? Have we learned nothing from this? When you have people who run from the police, when you have people who point guns at folks, when you have people who go on high-speed chases at the at high noon, you know, through Cudahy and in this case downtown Milwaukee, by simply turning around and turning them loose on ridiculously low bails, do we think it is going to deter them from doing this again? What is it going to take for court commissioners to learn? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Signature bonds, five grand, even 20 grand for a situation like this where it is but for the grace of God that people aren't dead. All right. Do do we need to change the way we deal with things? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner is back right after this on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, way up north where the air gets cold, there's a tale about Christmas that you've all been told, and a real famous well, cat. Okay, now I, I want to be fair in this description. I, I told you about the, the, the ridiculously stupid low bails, in my opinion, that were set on these people that just damn near killed a bunch of folks through reckless driving and firearms and possession of felons and all, and are released on what I believe, or at least they've they've set very, very low bails. Well, but I want to be fair here because, all right, for the convicted felons, high-speed chase, stolen car, um, and then, of course, possession of cocaine and heroin with intent to deliver. Well, I want to be fair because the one guy, the driver of the one, the one who led the police on a chase, who is, of course, a felon. Well, okay, in addition to, like, setting the bail at $20,000, which I think is stupid low, there were other conditions. No possession of dangerous weapons or firearms. That's what the court commissioner said. No possession of dangerous weapons or firearms. Okay, he's a felon. He's not allowed to have guns in the first place. But now they're telling him it's a condition of bail. We really mean it this time, don't you have guns? No possession of any controlled substance without a valid prescription. Ho, ho, ho. Well, I'm sure that's going to stop this guy who is out there selling cocaine and heroin. Okay, you can't have drugs anymore as a condition of me turning you loose. And this is my favorite one of the three. No driving at all. 
I really mean it this time. You're not allowed to drive as a condition of your bail. You know, it's once these these drug dealers make the bail in connection with this, you know that they're just laughing their whole way. Well, the, the, the court commissioner told me no guns. Give me my gun. The court commissioner told me no driving at all. You know, where's the car? Oh, my gosh. You're driving a stolen car, 100 miles an hour. You're a felon in possession of a gun. They set a stupid low bail and then no driving, no possession of a firearm, no possession of drugs unless you've got a valid prescription. It's no wonder that you have the criminals in Milwaukee who just laugh at the legal system because the, the guy's a convicted felon. He didn't care about that in the first place. He, you know, no, but no driving at all. That's my favorite. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Mike. Um, as I was telling your screener, it, you can talk about this for an hour a day, every day of the week like you do. Nothing is going to get done. What you need to do is you, Channel 4, WTMJ, demand our legislators to come to a roundtable and discuss with you and listeners and the community on what we think needs to be done. Our legislators... Republican, Democrat, never meet, they don't discuss, they don't change anything. We have to demand them to meet, discuss, and change the laws. No matter what we talk about on the radio here, without changing the laws, nothing is going to happen. Those two groups of legislators gavel in, gavel out, don't talk, don't meet. When's the last time they worked and passed any type of legislation? They don't. We have to start demanding they meet and they come up with some solutions, which means changing some of the laws. Well, Mike, let me stop you there. First of all, I I don't disagree that when it comes to some of the laws, I, I think I think that's a good starting point. For example, you know, I just think it is insane that you can keep getting caught driving without a driver's license over and over and over again. And unless you hit and kill somebody for all intents and purposes, it's not it's not a criminal penalty. I think that's insane. And I would certainly support these tougher laws. But let's look at a case like this. This isn't this to me isn't about the laws. You've got a felon in possession of a gun. You've got a they're driving a stolen car. They've got heroin and cocaine in the car, and they lead the police on a high-speed chase at speeds that exceed 115 miles an hour. There's a whole bunch of laws that have been violated, and yet when they go in front of a court commissioner in Milwaukee County for bail, one of them is released on a signature bond which you don't have to put up a dime. One of them is released on a $5,000 bond, and the other one has a $20,000 bond set for them, which is is nothing when it comes to people who are, are drug dealers. And so you then wonder, you know, why you have these problems. And then in the insulting fashion, we tell the, the drug dealer who's the convicted felon, who I doubt has a driver's license in the first place, don't drive a car, <laughs> much less a stolen one. You know, don't carry a gun. Well, it didn't stop them before. And, you know, and don't don't have any drugs besides prescription drugs. It, it's almost insulting that it's as stupid because, again, he's a felon in possession of a gun. He knew he couldn't have a gun. Didn't stop him from doing that. Let's talk to John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I'm here, yeah. Hi, John. Um, what I think, hi, how you doing? I think you ought to just fire the court commissioners. I mean, I mean, just, just get rid of them. They're doing us no good. Uh, they're letting these murderers uh, ride these streets. Because um, they are murdered. Anybody driving 100 miles an hour in the city, 
they are murderers. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to get killed. So mm-hmm. I just figure if, if the core commissioners are dead lenient, just fire them. Keep on firing them until you get somebody in there. It sounds kind of harsh. And I think all the people that's complained about our cars ripping and running up and down the streets on, on Capitol Drive and Thunder Neck and what have you, we all should get together, go down there to that courthouse, and, and march. We march for everything else. March to get rid of them court commissioners. You know, that's John, need to do. And John I, I mean, I would, this, I mean, thanks to this, is one of the disappointments that I have had about the new mayor, Cavalier Johnson, who I, I, I like him. I, I think he's one. I think Tom Barrett burned out. And, and there's just no other way to describe it. I, I think he, Barrett, you know, liked being the mayor of Milwaukee, but remember he ran for governor twice, didn't get that. I, I think he, he just burned out after a time. And I understand. And it, it's we watched the homicide rate and the crime rate kind of skyrocket. And I just, I don't think Barrett knew what to do with it. And I think he got to a certain point in his life. And I get it where it was just, okay, this, I like being mayor, but the rest of this stuff is too much. So I think it's good. You got younger blood that's coming in, a, a different perspective on it. And, and I believe the new mayor, Cavalier Johnson, is sincere when he is appalled at the fact that you have a postal worker who is executed. That's what happened, you know, on, on his streets the other day. And he's appalled by that. And I'm sure he's appalled by all these different types of stories that are there. But we still, we don't have anything going on. And to your point, wouldn't it be refreshing if we had public officials like the mayor, like the county executive, like members of the Common Council, who used their bully pulpit to start to call out the court commissioners who are putting out people on these stupid low bails, these court, these judges who are imposing, you know, slap on the wrist sentences and district attorneys, starting with John Chisholm, when they're making these decisions, whether it comes to plea bargaining or the, the big thing that goes on in the DA's office is that the not charging in the first place. See, and that's one of the problems that you have. Again, in, in a system, because you can pass all the laws you want, but if the DA's office says, no, we, we think, we think that three years mandatory prison time for stealing a car, let, let's say that you would adopt a law like that, we think that that's too severe, well then they're just not going to issue the charges in the first place. But to the point that you're making, John, that I agree with, wouldn't it be interesting if we had these public officials that started to, rather than making the statement saying we're appalled and disgusted that, you know, this, this murder happened or that this incident happened, and I'm sure that they are, that then they would say, all right, let's, let's, we're going to track this case. And we're going to demand to know why wasn't this case, what was the charges in this case, what were the decisions made with regarding to dropping charges, and how was this case resolved? And if you have judges that aren't willing to hold people accountable, if you have court commissioners that are turning people loose on bail, and I, for one, I mean, see, I just don't understand this. I, You know, when you have serious criminal behavior like this, why you would let people back out on the street on a low bail, a bail that is so low that it's not guaranteed to protect the fact that the, will the person show up, number one, or, you know, will the person re-offend? And I, look, and I'm a big believer. I think you need to... I think you need to take a whole look at the bail system. I think we need to move more towards a federal system, not doing away with cash bail, but allowing more and more people to be detained with no bail at all. But the bail decisions that are made around here are a complete and they are a total joke. They are putting people at risk. A signature bond. I mean, think about this. You're in a car, guns, leading police on a high-speed chase, 
and you're you're let loose on a $2,500 signature bond. It's just crazy. As I say often, if Martians, Martians landed in Cathedral Square and looked at a situation like this and said, wait, this woman didn't even have to put up a dime. All she had to do was sign something promising to pay if she doesn't show up or reoffends. Are, are, are you crazy? The Martians would leave convinced that there's no intelligent life on Earth. When we come back, Donald Trump, new numbers, not good. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, Mike Spaulding, we have the, maybe it's the penultimate, the second last update in in how the dryer turns for people at this i I still get texts how did mike's story turn out for for people who haven't been listening over the course of the last couple weeks uh, a a few weeks ago we had a a problem at our house with our with our clothes dryer was making this kind of awful noise and so called the dryer repair guy i thought oh maybe it's a belt he said no no it's a bearing guy came out and i was telling the story about i don't know how people fix stuff on their own because in order to get to this bearing and replace it he had to take the entire dryer apart. I mean, there, there were, I mean, you start off by taking the top off, then you take the door off, then you take the, the drum off. I mean, there was, there was at least, at least 32 bolt, nuts and bolts scattered all out all over my laundry room. And I kept saying, how, how do you put this all back together? But the guy, he, he did, because to get to this one little like plastic or metal bearing, you know, they, he did replace the bearing, fixed it, told me to clean out the uh, dryer vent, and it, and it's working fine. Now, Mike Spaulding, you had your dryer that was was not turning, and you diagnosed it as a certain problem. You, because you know you can do these things, you took your entire dryer apart, took it apart, cleaned it, put it back parts, together, ordered, ordered parts, parts, waited for the parts to come, correct, then put it back together. Spent a few hours putting it back together, but you were able to get it back together. Able to get it back together, still didn't work. Right. So that's that, I mean that's the the ultimate you know. You know, fill in the blank, call it what you want. You've done yeah. all this stuff, you've taken it apart, you've spent hours putting the thing back together, then you hit the button and it still does not work. All right, so you then moved to where I was in the first step, you called a dryer repair guy. Yes, and luckily our dryer was included in our home warranty, so called the dryer repair guy, he came out this morning, couldn't have been nicer, quickly diagnosed the problem as a seized motor. Which does not sound good to me. <laughs> nope, does not sound good. And one that I feel good that I would not have been able to fix on my own. So that was part of, I was partially okay with it because it wasn't me. If it's he came, dead. The dryer is essentially dead. Dryer's dead. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's old, so they're not going to, now it's in insurance hands now. Right. So, so they, they can't, so it, it's old, they, they don't make the motors anymore. Yeah. So you're <laughs> there's there's a limited number of options that you have. Yeah, so we're going to either have to get a new dryer or see what insurance says as far as like a straight switch out. So hopefully over the next couple of days, but we'll be without a dryer for a few more days. But uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where we're at right, right now. But I, I mean, I see a number of our listeners have applauded you for your you know willingness and your ingenuity to at least attempt to fix. I don't and, regret it. You know, and some have mocked me for, for just calling the repairman in the first place, and I don't regret that for a moment either. There's no question about it. Yeah, no, I you know went for it. And like I said, the fact that it was like a dead, dead dryer made me feel a little bit better that it wasn't. Because, you know, what the worst part, the worst feeling is when the repair guy shows up and says, oh, it's this problem that you thought you had already fixed. Right. That's, that's not a great feeling. So the fact that 
Eh, I wasn't dealing with the motor. It's dead, dead. That I felt a little better. It is so, interesting. Yeah. You know, I was telling you the story off there. It, it is amazing how when the, the first house I bought was in nineteen purchased with nineteen eighty eight. So we went and purchased a dryer. That dryer lasted twenty at least twenty years. At least twenty years. Um, and and then then it it just died in a big way. But it's amazing. Dryers, these appliances, don't last anywhere near that long anymore. No, and it's all the computer chips and stuff like that. Luckily, a dryer, it really has one job. That's what I'm hoping we get is just a dryer that does like the one thing really well, and that's dry clothes. I'm not trying to get anything fancy because my parents have had issues with like the fancier, I right. guess you could say, more technically advanced ones, and they've been nothing but problems. So the repair guy did say today, they don't make these like they used to. So be prepared. <laughs> it's not going to be what you're what you're getting rid of. So yeah, I'll let you know when we get the there. There we go. Okay. So that was the that was the update on Mike and the dryer story. Let us switch gears. So I, I have a I have a confession to make. I, I watch very little broadcast TV. I mean, unless it's like sports or something like that. I, I don't I don't know that there's any any current sitcoms that I I watch like on ABC, NBC, or CBS, and it's just it's just kind of the, the way it is. I if I'm if I'm watching shows, a lot of them are the streaming stuff or stuff on cable or things like that. So it, it has been a number of years since I watched the Roseanne Show, which is now rebranded as the Connors. Um, you know, Roseanne had a very very successful hit TV show where she played like the her and John Goodman, who was her husband, you know, it was this blue collar family, very, very successful, went off the air. Um, they then brought it back um, with with Roseanne and, you know, and they, they kind of advanced the timeline a couple years and stuff. And they brought that back. I want to say it was like 20. I want to say it was like 2017 or maybe 2018. They brought the, the show back with Roseanne, Roseanne being in in the lead of this and it, it didn't didn't last very long because what happened is after the first year which was very successful Roseanne being Roseanne she um she kind of blew it because she went off on on put out a series of racist tweets um involving well former Obama aide Valerie Jarrett and and it just it was one of these like, okay, what what were you thinking? And Roseanne got herself canceled. The show got canceled, and then what they ultimately decided to do was bring back the show, but without Roseanne. And she signed off on that. And so the, the, for the last couple of years, they've had to show the Connors, which I think they killed off Roseanne, the, the Roseanne character. So the show has been the Connors for the, the last couple of years. And it, it has a degree of success. If you haven't heard this story, it is creating a huge amount of controversy. Um, and it, it's localized because of what happened in Waukesha. Here, here's the way the local newspaper reports it. Waukesha residents voiced disgust after a joke made in last week's episode of ABC's The Connors seemed to directly reference and make light of the 2021 Christmas parade attack. In the episode, The Dog Days of Christmas, Dan Connor, a main character in the Roseanne spinoff series, right, Dan was, that's the John Goodman character, he played her her husband, um, meets his mother-in-law for the first time when she unexpectedly shows up at his front door. She drove all the way to the fictional town of Lanford, Illinois, from her home in Wisconsin. And while the drive is only a few hours away, she suffers from poor night vision, the episode reveals. What about pedestrians and bicycle riders, Connor asks her. 
Did you feel any bump bumps on the way over? His mother-in-law's response was as follows. I could run over a marching band and not feel a thing in that RV, she said. All right. Um, Now, of course, Waukesha South High School marching band members suffered from serious injuries after Daryl Brooks Jr. drove through last year's Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring dozens more. So, okay, you have this, I mean, as a joke, woman from Wisconsin says, I could have driven over a marching band um, and, you know, not felt anything. Uh, ABC, after a controversy develops, says the show in no way intended to reference the tragedy and deeply regrets any dialogue that could be misinterpreted. The show in no way intended to reference the tragedy and deeply regrets any dialogue that could be misinterpreted, and our hearts are with the Waukesha Christmas Parade victims and their families. ABC further says that they're pulling the, the, the segment and they're going to re-edit it, presumably to take out the tasteless joke. Members of the Waukesha Strong Community Facebook page, which formed to support foster support and unity after the attack, voiced disappointment in ABC's response. This was not an apology, one poster said. This joke was completely intentional. Why the emphasis on Wisconsin, let alone the graphic detail, they need to take it off the air. ABC says the show... This joke in no way intended to reference the tragedy and re- deeply regrets any dialogue that could be misinterpreted. Our numbers are eight five is num is eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, do you buy what ABC is selling? That that now I, I understand that there's the question about okay, what what do you do now? And they're pulling the show and they're gonna take the line. They're pulling that particular episode of the show and they're gonna re-edit it to take that line out. But their their story is. No, this wasn't intentional. The show in no way intended to reference the tragedy and deeply regrets any dialogue that could be misinterpreted. What the heck do you mean misinterpreted? Do you buy ABC's explanation that this joke about a woman from Wisconsin, you know, driving, could drive through and hit members of a marching band on her way from Wisconsin to Illinois wasn't a reference to the Waukesha Christmas Parade tragedy? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I, I'm sorry. There, there, I just, there's no way intended to reference the tragedy. What? They regret any dialogue that could be misinterpreted. How are you misinterpreting stuff? Do you buy what ABC is selling? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Opinions all over the map on this. Jeff, I accept their explanation. I watched the show. I never thought about the Waukesha Parade tragedy when I heard the joke, and I watched the trial. Jokes about old people who shouldn't be driving are common for comedians. I understand why some people were offended or hurt, but I do not believe it was intentional. Well, I guess my response would be, how, how can it not be intentional if you're talking about somebody driving through a Christmas parade, you could make all sorts of other references, but they're talking about running through, at least going through a, a marching band, all right, you know, from Wisconsin. I mean, 
you know, really? Okay. And you would think that you would think that at least somebody could have caught that or somebody along the line would say, hey, maybe it's a little bit too soon for this. Jeff, Hollywood is so out of touch with the rest of the country, especially the Midwest and Wisconsin, even though it made national news. I bet the writers and actors had no clue about the Waukesha Christmas Parade attack. Jeff, I don't think it was intentional joke about the Waukesha Parade tragedy. Um, um, if it wasn't an RV used and they had just used a different state like of Iowa, like it would have probably gone unnoticed. Well, yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> you know, they, they, they didn't. This was Wisconsin and this was, okay, you know, she's driving down for a, a visit around the holidays. Um, Jeff, no way do I buy ABC's apology um let's see uh let's see um uh, 855-616-1620 jeff they should have definitely known better this should have not made it off the editor's desk yeah, that's that's the thing you got some people who are reviewing this and you know at some point in time somebody you know isn't there standards and practices that say well you know this are we sure this is this jeff they definitely should have known better should not have made it again off this nope jeff i end up buying it jeff i think this storyline is an extremely bad taste capitalizing on a blend of several incidents in california over the years where elderly folks inadvertently lose control of their vehicles and run over pedestrians at public events and an obvious reference to the waukesha christmas parade tragedy i think this is sick and twisted um, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Rick in Sheboygan. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing, Good. Jeff? What do you think? You know, I'm pretty sick of the cancel woke culture already. You know, lighten up, Francis. You know, my father got killed on a motorcycle. So if every time I see a motorcycle on TV that gets hit by a car, am I going to sit there and say, oh, that's about my dad? Get a wife already. Okay. You know, so- these people only want to do is cancel anything they disagree with or don't like, and they sit there and whine, and the, bigger, the biggest scream Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Rick. You're, I didn't hit the button. Your cell phone cut out there. Look, I, here, here's the deal. I, I mean, to me, this isn't the cancel culture. This is a, a question of, of taste, and I think that there's a lot of people out there who view this as extremely bad taste um look and one of our textures says look wisconsin is often the butt of joke in sick sitcoms i don't think it was purposeful it, it's not about making wisconsin the butt of a joke the question is whether or not somebody somewhere should have said you know this is a little bit raw here and you know we, we can make all sorts of references we can change where the character is driving from all right if we want to have them hit stuff we can have them i could have run over a herd of deer and I wouldn't have known this. Okay, you could have had him do almost anything, but you use the reference to marching band. Um, you know, Jeff, um, if they randomly picked the state, they only had a 2% chance of picking Wisconsin, must be intentional. Well, I mean, the, the carrot, in fairness, the, the thing is, the thing is set in the, the, in a fictional town in Illinois. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense to have him driving from Illinois, but you could have made it Indiana. You could have made it Michigan. You could have made it, you know, Iowa, you know, anywhere pretty much in the Midwest. But when you chose to make Wisconsin, um, you know, there, there you go. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Kathy in Waukesha. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. I did not see the episode, but I'm thinking this goes to the writers. 
the writers had the idea. Uh, I think they were intentional, referring to Wisconsin. And I think they just talked the approval through and said, oh, nobody's going to make the connection. And I, I really think it goes to the writers and their ability to convince the um, mm-hmm. director, producer, you know, whoever approves it. I think they just talked it through them saying, ah, nobody's going to connect it. And I think they intentionally said Wisconsin. I think it was all intentional. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it, it, I mean, thanks for call. I guess, I think, I don't know if it was subliminal. I mean, look, here's the thing. A lot of these stories come from the news. And my guess is what happened is somebody, I mean, of course, maybe you, even despite all the attention, you know, first of all, I find it difficult to believe that people did not know about a guy in Wisconsin, you know, driving through a parade and killing a whole bunch of people and hitting a marching band. I find it very difficult to believe that even on the West Coast, you could be so clueless about that. So, I mean, I, I think what happens is that's probably the idea that's in their, their mind. They're looking for a cheap joke. I, look, what do I expect ABC to do about this? Well, there, there's nothing they can do. They've pulled it off the air, so I think they recognize that they've got an issue. They're going to re-edit it so when it shows up in reruns or you know streaming or whatever, that the offensive joke is going to be taken out. To me, the most interesting story, though, is that nobody seemed to catch it. Now, of all the different things that are out there that we're so concerned about, and no, we can't say this because this group is going to be offended, or we can't say that because this group is going to be offended. Of all, And that's, to me, the interesting takeaway, the larger issue, that nobody at, at ABC, not, none of the, the writers, none of the producers, none of the ABC you know, standards and practices people, nobody thought and recognized what an issue this could create. And that, I think, is more telling than perhaps anything. Back with more in just a minute. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. Well, we're alternating bumper music between Christmas music and non-Christmas music. And we'll kind of ease in... um, I, I've, t- I've got a couple days off around the holidays, um, starting next week. But we'll kind of we'll kind of we'll gradually ease into more all Christmas music over the next couple days. So, Mike Spaulding, our our long local nightmare is over. Now, if you saw the story, um, the restaurant at American Family Field, which for the longest time it was it was a Fridays, it was like a TGI Fridays, and then a couple years ago they changed the name. You remember what they changed the name to? Oh, I do. A restaurant to be named later. Yeah. Which, in my opinion, and again, I I understand that there's people who make a fortune, you know, by coming up with marketing ideas and things like that. And I I just thought that was the dumbest name for a restaurant. And I I get the idea that, you know, player to be named later or whatever. But I thought for a restaurant, that was just an incredibly dumb name. It didn't really roll off the tongue. I think was part of the problem. Like it it wasn't an easy name to say. Not that it was difficult. It's just long. Right. Well, yeah. Well, and and see, and Mike get what I figured all along is that that was just kind of a a caretaker name Mm -hmm. while they, they look to try to find somebody that would come in and, and and like put their own name on it. But that went on for, it's actually open for like three years under a restaurant to be named later, but it will no longer, it's no longer a restaurant to be named later. They, they have found a sponsor. Yeah, later has become now. 
Exactly. It is going to be called Leinenkugel's Barrel Yard at American Family Field. Now, Leinenkugel's Barrel Yard doesn't exactly roll off the tongue either, but it's it, a heck of a lot better than a restaurant to be named later. It, yeah, it, it is a destination place. Like, it, it has a name. I just feel like restaurant to be named later was kind of like we were all just waiting for it to be named and you weren't sure if it was done or Right. Not done. So this one at least provides a little bit of a vision, I feel like. We know what lining kugels is. We know what barrels are. And we know what yards are. So right. They're I, actually going to, it's going to be like, I think they're going to brew their own beer there, too. They are. They're going to be like stadium-specific beers, which yeah. is kind of cool. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that you one. You know what I thought the name was going to be all, and what it should have been, and what I think the name was going to be all along? What? Euchres. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. I'm surprised we don't have a Euchres. Yeah, I mean. Aren't you? Would, like, right. You know, um, I, I, just, I was just. I was kind of surprised with all that because I, I thought that would have been the natural fit for somebody to come in and, and do that. But I don't know. Bob might be like, who knows what his fee would be for something like that. Well, you know? exa- yeah, exactly. Because he's and, worth every penny. And who knows? At the rate they're changing the name, you never we, know. We could so, get Euchre's here. So it's no later. longer a restaurant to be named later. It's um, going to be um, Leinenkugel's Barrel Yard. Um, the space will feature a three-barrel brewing system. When customers first walk in, they'll offer 48 brews on tap with specialty beer exclusive to American Family Field. Um, yeah, I think that that's. I, I think it's. I think it's great, and we've gotten past a restaurant to be named later. Yeah, baseball, peanuts, and beer go together perfectly. So to me, that makes a ton of sense. And Liney's gotta gotta love it. When we come back, Donald Trump back in the news, and this. This might be something that gets his attention. I will explain. We will discuss. Well, way up north where the air gets cold, there's a tale about Christmas that you've all been told. And a real famous cat all dressed up in red. And he spends the whole year working out in his sled. It's the losing All right. The, um, you know, politics... It's always it's always a matter of timing, and I try to explain that to people that um, you, you can you can be the best candidate in the world, but if you are before your time, well, you know it. You, you know you're not gonna. It's not gonna be right. I'll give you a classic example. Of that I, I think I think Scott Walker. One of the big mistakes Scott Walker made was after he was immediately reelected to a second full four-year term, he decided that he was going to run for president. And and I just, I, I said at the time, I thought that was poor timing. It just, it was not his time. I think he ran too soon. If he had had another successful stint as, as governor, and I, and I think the decision, I think the decision to run for president, I think it, it lost him some support and contributed to his losing the governor's race to Tony Evers in 2018 wasn't the sole factor but i think it contributed to that it was it was a timing thing his timing was wrong to run for president in 2016 um similarly i tommy thompson tommy thompson waited too long and if you talk to tommy thompson he'll he'll tell you that there was a point in the 1990s where where tommy thompson was was riding high. I mean, Tommy Thompson was the reformer, was viewed as the reformer governor from Wisconsin. Um, I, I think you know, Tommy's time might have been 1996 against Bill Clinton when Bill Clinton um, ended up running against Robert Dole. I, I just and I, but, you know, Thompson waited too long. And so th- there's always that question of, of you know, where is the, the right time and when is it time to step off the stage? Now, I know some of you disagree with me on this, and I appreciate that. But you know, Donald Trump 
Of course, 2016, Trump kind of comes out of nowhere, and he's this—he's this media darling. He's getting all this this attention, and you know, he's the star of the Celebrity Apprentice, and you, he's running against Hillary Clinton, who is, at least in many circles, uniquely unpopular. And all this stuff comes together, and Donald Trump becomes the president. Well, you know, after Trump became the president, at least from a political perspective, things started going downhill. 2018 was a bad year for Republicans. 2020, uh, Donald Trump does not get reelected. You lose seats. And in 2022, a red wave doesn't materialize in part because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are running for seats who, you know, on the primary, what they did is they went out and they kowtowed to Donald Trump and they ran campaigns based on their, their allegiance to Trump when the general electorate had moved on. So Donald Trump has now announced that he is running for president again, but he, he's really, there, there, there's no sign of a campaign. There's no rallies. There's no, there's nothing like that. And I mean, it's, let's face it. It's been a, it's been a bad several weeks for Donald Trump since he announced that he was running again. You've got more loss. You've got the losses that came in the midterm. You've got the loss of his hand-picked candidate, Herschel Walker, in Georgia. You've got all the different you know, criminal investigations that are going on. And, you know, every day makes it more likely than not that, that he might get charged criminally with something. But still, there's a lot of people who are loyal. At the same time, there's a lot of donors and a lot of organizational Republicans who've decided it's time to move on. What, what does Paul Ryan say? Paul Ryan's like, hey, look, um, I wasn't a never-Trumper, but I'm ne- a never-again-Trumper because the simple fact of the matter is, you know, we, we lose if Donald Trump is the face of the Republican Party. And I think a lot of people agree with that. I said when he announced for president that I think the odds are better than 50% that he doesn't make it to the primaries, that that something over the next year <clears throat> happens. Maybe he gets charged criminally, but more more likely what ends up happening is that he recognizes that he, he can't win. He recognizes that his fundraising has dropped off, and then he, he tries to find some face-saving way to drop out. Maybe it's well, I, I, you know, I'm I'm victimized by the mainstream media and all these investigations, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> I can't do that, or I, I need to concentrate my time, or my family doesn't want me to run, and, and the family is already starting to, to bail on him. The kids weren't at the um, announcement, and they're they're like getting ready to move on. So I mean, I think I said it's better than fifty fifty. And for whatever you want to say about Trump, you know, he reads polls. You know, at at some point in time. Uh, you, you, I understand you get fixated on this. Well, 2020, the election was stolen, all this type of stuff. But at some point in time, you you read the polls, you understand where you are, and you start to recognize, okay, maybe this isn't going to work. And it's amazing how fast the Trump star is falling. There's a new poll out by USA Today, Suffolk University. And I understand that some people don't want to believe polls, but here's the deal. By a two-to-one margin, the Republican and Republican-leaning voters now say that they like Trump's policies, but they want a different standard barrier to carry, bearer to carry them. While 31% want the former president to run, 61% prefer some other Republican nominee who would continue some of the policies that Trump pursued, and they have a name in mind. Two-thirds of Republicans and those inclined to vote Republican want Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to run for presidents. By double digits, 56% to 33%, they prefer DeSantis over Trump. 
guy that does the poll says Republicans and conservative independents increasingly want Trumpism, but they do not want Trump. And what you're starting to find is that over the last couple of years, there has been this this remarkable amount of core support for, for Trump, the hardcore Trump people that despite all the stuff that's going on and all the controversies and stuff, they, they've still remained loyal. But now more and more people looking at what the Trump endorsement does and how that's affected like races and seeing Republicans losing races that they think that the Republicans should have won and seeing how Trump is increasingly marginalizing himself by you know, having dinner with Holocaust uh, deniers and you know, white supremacist leaning people, you know, he's doing that sort of stuff and all the the problems that are going on in the legal field. A lot of people probably just coming to the conclusion that they don't think he can win. So my question is, I I know I had said earlier that I I think I've been thinking probably more than 50-50 that he doesn't run again. I think this is changing. I, I think, I think if you had asked me to look into my crystal ball and say, all right, January of 2024, is Donald Trump still going to be running for the Republican nomination? I'd say it's about 70-30 that the answer is no. Because at the end of the day, Trump Trump cares about his reputation. And if it becomes apparent that he's not going to be able to get the nomination and he's going to lose to a Ron DeSantis or a, a, a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley or whatever – I just I think I see him trying to find some way out that he saves face. And I don't see how Trump turns these numbers around. And more and more Republicans, even part of his core base, they're starting to gravitate towards alternatives. DeSantis is the first one, but there's other options as well. Is Donald Trump going to be on the ballot? Is he still going to be running for president a year from now? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. And my sense is no. What do you think? Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You just heard that. That, that promo for the um, Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association. Well, it is December. Christmas is fast approaching. And that's why I'm here with the Wagner Holiday Shopping List. This week, we are giving away certificates from the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association. We're doing one a day. They, You know, White Lace Inn has been a sponsor of this program around this time of the year for like the last 20 years and something. So, you know, the Bed and Breakfast Association of Wisconsin is a tremendous organization. And if you haven't thought about bed and breakfasts, you really should. In any event, it's the holiday shopping list. I have a gift certificate from the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association. Today, we're giving it to caller number nine. Caller number nine at 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Caller number nine wins a gift certificate to the Wisconsin Bed and Breakfast Association. And if you haven't checked out some of their member places, you really owe your do yourself a favor and, and do that. Okay, uh, Isaac will attract the winner. We'll determine the winner in just a minute. I think, again, it's better. I, I've been saying all along, I don't, I don't think Donald Trump ends up actually being on the ballots of the primaries a year from now because I just think there's too much stuff going on. And the, the new polls that are out, you can take polling with a grain of salt, but it shows by, by a pretty good margin 
that Republican voters are starting to bail on him. And uh, the poll that's just out, the USA Today poll, shows, again, by by 56 to 33, Republican voters and Republican-leaning voters prefer DeSantis over Trump. So the, the Trump announcement, if he thought he was going to scare off people, I don't think that's happened. There's no appreciable fundraising that's going on. He's plummeting in the polls because I think a lot of Republicans who, who might – might agree with his policies when he's president, recognize that he is toxic. And you've seen the 2020 election, the 2018 election, the 2022 election, and recognizing that by hitching your wagon to Donald Trump, you pretty much guarantee in a lot of these swing states that you're going to lose. The poll also shows that in a head-to-head matchup, Biden beats Trump 48 to 40 percent. And and I actually think that that's I think that that's large. I I think. Joe Biden probably loses against any Republican, any mainstream Republican that's out there that's not named Donald Trump. But you, you have a Trump-Biden replay. And, and, I mean, tell me what's different in 2024 than was different in 2020, except that Donald Trump's already lost once. He's been tarred with the whole thing involving January 6th. He's still been obsessed with the idea that the 2020 election was defrauded. He's called for suspending the Constitution. No, I mean, I think people are ready to move on from Trump. And that's why I think at the end of the day, Trump comes to that conclusion. Now, Am I saying he comes out and says, well, I don't think I can win the nomination? No, that's not what's going to happen. But it'll be, you know, I've decided that I I have to concentrate. My family doesn't want me to to run. um, Or I've decided I have to concentrate on these legal issues that I have going on and all this unfairness. I I mean, he'll find an excuse. But I, I think at the end of the day, he does that. Jeff, my fear is that Trump will not go out quietly. He would rather burn the Republican Party down than have somebody else be the representative. Well, well, maybe, but I guess the question is, how at some point in time do you just become irrelevant? Jeff, who in their right mind would vote for Trump? Who wants a president that wants to get rid of our Constitution? He doesn't want to be president. He wants to be king, never to be removed. Um, Jeff, it doesn't matter. Trump knows that even if DeSantis beats him, Trump can take 15% of the party with him. You're going to have to buy him off. Donors better have an extra billion dollars laying around. I don't know. At some point in time, if it becomes apparent that you cannot win and you're going to get beaten decisively, all right, do you just kind of go ahead with that and say, okay, I've lost the New Hampshire primary by you know 25 points? How does how does your ego put up with something like that, Jeff? You're wrong. Trump will never recognize anything. I don't see him voluntarily dropping out of the race. But having said that, I hope you're right. Jeff, I think Trump would only be running to fleece his base of their money by selling them more hats, skirts, and flags. I think he's nothing but a grifter. Well, I I don't know. Uh, Jeff, as much as I agree with a lot of his policies, I cannot stand him as a human being. He is a terrible leader for the United States. And that's what this poll found. The the poll said, look, we we can look at a lot of the policies that Trump did when he was president, and we don't have a problem with that. We, We like that. We support this kind of populist conservatism that he had, if if that's really what what he had. But you know, we we don't think he we don't think he should be the face of that anymore. And I mean, just and I've said this before as well. At some point in time, I think people age out of these things. I mean, I've got a story I'm going to talk about in the next hour with Diane Feinstein. But at some point in time, people age out. Donald Trump, if he ran for office and was elected, would be seventy eight years old. At some point in time. 
can't we, at some point in time, you know, is, isn't it time to have, I mean, younger people? Can't we find a 65-year-old guy? Jeff, I think he will probably try to run as an independent because there's no way he'll get the Republican nomination, and that just scares the heck out of me. That would mess the entire election completely up, uh, probably a shoe-in for whoever's running on the Democratic side. The problem with that, though, just so everybody knows, is that, you know, it's not, it's not that easy to get on the ballot in all 50 states. You, you need to get signatures. An, an organization has, has never been Donald Trump's strong suit. I mean, he depended a lot on the Republican Party organization, both in 2016 and 2020. Um, it, it, I mean, I guess if he decides that he's going to be a candidate on the Green Party, you know, maybe you've got ballot access. Maybe the Reform Party still has ballot access. I'm not sure about that. But just to say I'm going to run as an independent, well, you got to get signatures. you got to do all this stuff in 50 different states. You need an organization. That takes money, all those things. Bottom line of all this is uh, I just I, I stand by I stand by this. And a year from now, you can call me up and you can say, I told you so. You were wrong. But I just I think one of the stories of 2023 is going to be Donald Trump. I'm not saying he goes quietly into the good night, but I think he does go into the good night. We have a winner, our winner for our bed and breakfast giveaway. We'll have more certificates to give away as the week rolls on. Stick around. A lot coming up in the two o'clock hour of the program. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. But let's do something that we do occasionally when there is breaking news. As Mike was just telling you, there is... This is about as bad as it can get. Um, out out in, in Wauwatosa, and this apparently happened within the last 90 minutes or so, three people, at least it's a report, three people are dead following a car crash in Wauwatosa near Mayfair Road and Wisconsin Avenue. Um, an officer, I'm, I'm looking at the Fox 6 News report, an officer at the scene told Fox 6 News that a DPW truck is at fault. Police have closed southbound Mayfair Road between Watertown Plank and Research Drive. Northbound lanes closed between Wisconsin and Research. Um, it's a, a major a major issue, as you might expect. I'm looking at some of the pictures that are coming in. You see cars least one vehicle, if not more, on fire. Um, you see another vehicle that appears to have been turned over. This this looks really bad. The Department of Transportation video showing a plume of smoke in the air, several wrecked vehicles. As Mike is telling you, lots of first responders. Our, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I can only imagine that it's just, I mean, appropriately so traffic is just a complete mess in that area right now but if you were in that area and and saw any of this or are in the vicinity now i'd I'd like to talk to you because this this is a big deal that is a major intersection of course you've got a lot of people out and about trying to do their christmas shopping and things like that and now you have something like this happen our number is 855-616- 1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. If you're either around that area now, and our advice is, you know, stay away right now, but if you happen to be in that area or were in that area over the course of the last hour and a half, we'd, we'd like to talk to you to find out what you saw. Mike Spalding, it looks like th- this is really bad. 
Yeah, it looks like about as bad as you can get. Anytime there is a DPW vehicle involved, and, and we haven't seen which vehicle it is, but by the looks of it, it was uh, one of the larger one of the larger ones. It is just uh, the, the vehicle involved, the car involved in this is mangled. It's like a crumpled up, looks like a melted ball of plastic that you put in the microwave. So there are a number of, like you said, first responders on scene. There was a large fire. There was an explosion as part of this. And, and all of this to say, too, this was right next to like a Clark gas station. So we, we could have avoided even a, you know, more of an issue if, if some of this explosion had made it over to the gas station area. But yeah, if you're driving through the Wauwatosa, Mayfair Mall-ish, avoid that road as best you can. That is that small section. I believe you can, you know, still get out and head either north or southbound if you take North Avenue, work and get on 41 and kind of go around this scene. But uh, traffic is slow, as you can imagine, through that area. There are a number of first responders and it's going to take quite a while to get this all cleaned up wisconsin avenue has a couple backups as well so if you're stuck in it it is going to be uh, a, a minor annoyance compared to uh, the people who were affected well, by right. this but, and that's why we, we stress you do want to you just want to avoid this because i mean there'll be more of course there'll be more details coming out later on as to how exactly this happened but you, you look at the pictures of this and and you see the the plumes of smoke i mean this this isn't just an ordinary sort of fender bender or anything like this. This was something major that ended up happening. Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, you know, uh, Highway 100 isn't exactly a residential street. You're not going 25 miles an hour down Highway 100, and it certainly looks like uh, that was that was the case in this incident. So, yeah, we'll have more uh, throughout the afternoon, certainly, and let people know once this gets open and what the latest is. Right, and, of course, the compound stuff you, you have in, in that area, There's as, as is true about a lot of areas around here, there, there's all sorts of road construction yeah. that is going on as, as well, which you know is, is another factor. Now, I'm not suggesting the road construction had a role necessarily in what happened here, but it's another thing that makes it difficult to get around in that area. So the bottom line is, it, at least for the time being, you've got a fatal crash out in that particular area around Mayfair Road, and you want to avoid it um, with, with, you know, no question about it. Um, so keep that in mind if you're out and about doing your Christmas shopping or going home. Who knows when this is going to be cleared up? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I am back right now. Um, I'm, I'm, a number of people are texting photographs from this scene where it, it appears that I'm not sure the fires are completely put out yet. But a, avoid avoid that area around Mayfair Road. Um, it's 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 as bad as it gets. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you. We we all know that the issue of uh, abortion has become a huge huge issue it, it played a role in the midterm elections ever since the supreme court struck down roe versus wade in the dobbs decision and said abortion is a matter of, of the states you, you've had a, a huge split in in this country in wisconsin right now there, there's court cases but in the wisconsin right now there's a there's an 1849 court case which makes abortion illegal and that's as a result of that You've had abortion providers in the state of Wisconsin that have pulled out and are no longer performing abortions in the state of Wisconsin. Now, it doesn't mean that Wisconsin women can't get abortions. And I think the numbers, 
the, the, the most recent year I had them for, I believe, was 2020. could have been 2021. But there were about 6,000 abortions, approximately, that were performed in the state of Wisconsin. Um, in the last year, I had those numbers for. Those, there's nothing that says that women from Wisconsin can't get abortions. It's that they have to travel. And so as a result, you, you've really seen what, what's I've been described by some as abortion tourism. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily like to use that term, but you have a number of women who have been traveling to Illinois and they've been having abortions performed. They've been traveling to Minnesota, for example, where they perform abortions. And that same thing has been true all across the country. And a number of the groups that provide abortions or previously provided abortions have been helping to underwrite the cost of women traveling there. That's just been one of the things they've gotten various, you know, private grants and things like that. So you really don't hear too many stories about somebody who wanted an abortion who wasn't able to get them. It's just, it, it is clearly an, an inconvenience that's out there. Well, into this wades U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin. And Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin introduced last Thursday introduced evidence or a bill that would establish a four-year $350 million annual government grant program which would help pay for women to travel to from states that did not allow abortion to states that provided abortions so they could get an abortion. So in other words, if you were a Wisconsin woman living in Sheboygan, for the sake of argument, and you needed to travel to northern Illinois to have your abortion performed, under Baldwin's bill, the federal taxpayers would pick up the tab for that. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, this isn't about the rights to abortion or anything like that. That's a completely different discussion. This is about whether or not taxpayers should be funding people to travel out of state to have abortions performed. Is this is this something that taxpayers of the United States should be paying for? Like I say, right now, a, a number of the organizations that, that provide abortions, they've received huge grants from private places so that, that help fund this. Matter of fact, the last time I saw a story on this, you know, Planned Parenthood received a whole bunch of money, like not taxpayer money, but private money that would help, you know, supplement this. So I don't know that there's anybody out there who's been denied the ability to travel to get an abortion, but it hasn't involved taxpayer money. Should the taxpayers of the United States be essentially picking up the travel tab for people who choose to leave Wisconsin and and go have an abortion in I don't know, Minnesota, or have an abortion in Illinois. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I, I guess my, my take on this is regardless about how you feel on the abortion question, whether you think it should be legal in Wisconsin or not, and I know that there's a number of you who disagree with me. I, I think I, I think that there has to be some sort of compromise on this, and, and I think that you know we, we cannot allow ourselves because my point has always been, it's not like women in Wisconsin can't get abortions. They, they, they can. They can travel to Illinois. They can travel to Minnesota. I, I think that the legislature and the governor has to come together and have some sort of reasonable law. And we can define, you know, we can decide what reasonable is. 
But th- this absolutism, I don't think it helps anybody. So I, th- I think you know we've we've got to figure out how to move past that. Having said all that, that is a far cry from saying, all right, we're going to take taxpayer dollars and we're going to use those taxpayer dollars to transport people to, I don't know, Illinois to have abortions. 855-616-1620. That's the um, WTMJ talk and text line. One of our texters says, Jeff, not just no, hell no. Second texter that comes in says, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, another one says, absolutely not. 855-616-1620. Regardless of how you feel about abortion, I, I think the idea that taxpayer dollars are going to be spent to have women travel interstate to have the procedure performed, to me, I think that's a complete and total non-starter. If people want to, again, like I say, there's money that's available now. If Planned Parenthood wants to fund that, that's absolutely fine. But taxpayers essentially paying for people to have abortions, and that's what this is. I think that that's a complete and total non-starter. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I'm not even going to start with my own feelings about abortion. But what I will say is this. Um, I have friends who have had them when they were young. And um, they had the support of their friends and family, and they made their own choices. The fact that Tammy Baldwin wants taxpayers to pay for this, I feel is absolutely ridiculous, and it's a violation of taxpayer rights. Well, I think, you know, I guess that that's that, that it, that's the, the point behind all this, because, again, the, the Supreme Court says abortion is, is a matter to be decided by the different states, and right now Wisconsin says no to abortions. I, I think, you know, I'd like to see them change that policy. I, I hope they, they do at some point in time, but that's a far cry from saying that the taxpayers should encourage this practice by transporting people, and I guess my question would be, Julie, again, if we're going to, if we're going to have the taxpayers pay for people to go to Illinois to have abortions, what about I don't know, what about the person that needs to, I don't know, go to New York or go to Cleveland for other sorts of medical treatment? Should the taxpayers be paying for that as well? And if not, why not, if, if abortion is a medical procedure? Exactly the point I was going to make, Jeff. If you're going to have the taxpayers pay for abortion travel, where do you draw the line? What about the poor little old lady who has cancer and can't get to her cancer treatment? I mean, you have to draw the line to say this is not a taxpayer responsibility. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I, again, I'm 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 with you on on this one because I I, I don't. What, why should we be paying to have again in my example, a woman from Sheboygan? Why should the taxpayers be paying to you know pick up the tab for her to go down to Illinois to have the abortion that Wisconsin says you're, you're, is illegal? And again, I don't even get into the issue about what's, whether Wisconsin is right for that. But then you know what about hey, I, I, you're the the lady. Let's take the example: the lady that has you know some rare form of cancer that would love to get treatment at I don't know the Cleveland Clinic or the Mayo Clinic or whatever. I mean, should the taxpayers be paying for that person to travel to Minneapolis? 
Minneapolis sewer to travel to, you know, Mayo for, for where that treatment is. And if not, you know, why not? Um, why would we do that? Jeff, my wife has to go to the Mayo Clinic every other month. Will I be reimbursed for travel and housing? It's five hours away. And that would be my question. And if the answer is no, why are we carving out abortion as the procedure that we're going to do that for? Um, let's talk to... Let's see, Elizabeth in Port Washington. Elizabeth, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff, and good afternoon. Um, you just in the last few minutes uh, stole my thunder because I feel very strongly about the points that you are making. People travel all over the country, and they have, have to be put up in housing to, while they're seeking some type of medical treatment. And we don't pay for that. They're on their own to do that. So, you're right. Why are we carving out this for abortion? The other, the other thing is, they're going if they're out of state getting an abortion and they run into post-abortion problems. Who do you think is going to pick up the bill to for their medical care and for taking care of mm-hmm. them if they have to go to a hotel or, or you know, place for recovery? You know, this, this is just dragging this whole abortion issue out more and more and more. And I say absolutely not. So no, thank you very much. No, thanks for call, Elizabeth. No, I, I, I again, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. We, we don't. The taxpayers do not fund um, other forms of medical travel. Now, you know, you, you've got, you've got the Ronald McDonald's houses all over. Okay, so if you've got sick kids, I mean, they provide that sort of stuff. But that's, that is a private charitable organization. St. Jude's is, is the same way. You can come up with all sorts of other examples. And like I say, at least the most recent information that I had seen is. You had had a number of donors that have contributed to, for example, Planned Parenthood to help them fund people traveling for the abortions. I have no problem with that at all. If people want to donate money for this purpose so that women can travel to Illinois or Minnesota or wherever to have this procedure done, that's okay with me. I'm okay with that. I don't, I'm not one of these guys that think people should be prosecuted for going across state lines or anything like that, but that is, that is a private matter. If people want to donate money to whatever organization is going to help fund interstate travel so people can have abortions, fine. No problem with that at all, but that is a different cry from saying that your tax dollars and my tax dollars, $350 million a year, should be used to fund this. To me, that's an absolute and total non-starter, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere this year, and I'm pretty sure it's not going to go anywhere next year, but Tammy Baldwin is pushing it, and that's something to remember when she runs for re-election two years from now. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Melakalikimaka is the thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send you from the land where palm trees Mike Spaulding, have you ever spent Christmas like in a warm weather climate? One time when I was uh, about 12 years old, my grandparents took the whole family to Florida. Yeah. And but that was the only time. You have a clear recollection of it? Did it not seem like Christmas? It, it was very strange. I remember we all went swimming. There was like a pool at the house, and we all went swimming. And they we didn't have a Christmas tree, but they my, my parents and aunts and uncles all decorated a, like a, uh, not a palm tree, but like maybe a very skinny Christmas tree. It was like, I don't, I don't remember. But yes, I remember that. 
And I remember like having the windows and like the big breezeway doors open as we all opened gifts. But yes, it was cold when we got there. I remember when we got there, we got there late at night. And it kind of gets cold right there in the Gulf of Florida. It was Destin. Okay. So I remember getting there and thinking, well, it's it's cold here too. What are we doing? And then, of course, it, the daytime comes out. The ocean's right there. So it did feel a little weird because I spent my whole life in cold weather climates. We were in Florida a little bit before, before Thanksgiving, like a week or so before Thanksgiving. And, and they were, there was all the stores, they're putting out the Christmas decorations and stuff. And, and my wife, was commenting that she thought it was a little bit unusual. And I'm like, no, nah, it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> you know, and, and we, we haven't seen the sun around here for like eight or nine days, and your forecast sucks and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, huh, I know it. I think I could get used to it pretty quick. Yeah, I think I'm on record saying I was ready for a little bit of snow here because I do like the look of it for a few hours, and then I wish it would all go away. But I think I could probably get used to a, a sandy Christmas just yeah, as well I, as I could. Have, uh, I think that's I think that's yeah. kind of it, and it's not going to be this year. But you know, maybe maybe sometime in the future, I'm going to try that out, and I'll report back. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> We were talking earlier in the program about how, like, some politician just just can't give it up. And I understand some people disagree with me, but I, I think, I, I still think it's I think it's about a seventy thirty chance that Donald Trump isn't ends up not running when the metal meets the meat and two thousand twenty four rolls around for a lot of different reasons. But it is amazing to me about how many people, how many people just. Who, who get into positions of power, you know, just absolutely can't give it up. And, and I always, I, I say joke, I mean, Joe Biden, I mean, I don't know if he's going to run again. I mean, all the indications are he, he's announcing that he, he's going to run again. If he were to be reelected, Joe Biden would be 82 years old, 82 years old. If Trump were to run and be elected, Trump would be 78 years old. At some point in time, I mean, can't we, I, I say this jokingly, but I'm half serious, can't you find a 65-year-old whippersnapper to run for office, for goodness sakes? It's, and, and part of it is that people get into power, and then they, they can't give it up. Let, and let, let's, let's forget about Joe Biden's politics for a minute, whether you think he's the greatest thing since canned beer, or whether you think it's a failed presidency along the lines of Jimmy Carter. It doesn't matter. The guy's going to be 82 years old. At some point in time, don't you don't you have to take a step back and say I'm I'm 82 years old um I'm I'm backing off and and it's time to let somebody who's younger let that next generation come along but it, it's that ego that says well I'm the only one that that can do this and so you, you get this now th- that's Biden he's going to be 82 Biden's not the worst example of that Diane Feinstein is the senator from California. Right. She's right now 89 years old. She's the oldest sitting U.S. senator. And it's it's no secret that she is slipping. Democrats acknowledge it. Republicans acknowledge it. Independents acknowledge it. She's and God bless her. She made 89 years old. I mean, a lot of people don't make 89 years old. But she's in the U.S. Senate, and there's all sorts of stories, and I won't go through them one after another. But there's no question that she's she's slipping, and she's slipping a lot. 
and there's just a lot of concerns about this to the point that a lot of Democrats in California want her to step down. Now, her term expires two years from now. She, she's up in, in 2024, and a lot of people would like to see her, her step down and the Democrat governor of California appoint somebody to the spot. So you'd have an incumbent there that would be running. She, well, yesterday, despite the fact that she's slipping, she announced that there's no way that she is going to resign before the end of her term. All right. So she's going to she's going to stay this out. I'm I'm not quitting early. But but here's the more interesting thing. She also said that she's not decided. She hasn't agreed that she's going to retire. She's still deliberating whether or not to retire in 2024. So in other words, she may very well make the decision to run again two years from now when if she is reelected and she would be reelected. She would be 91 years old. U.S. Senate terms are 90, are six years. So if she were reelected, she would be 97 years old if she makes it through the end of that next term. And here's the reality. If she decides that she's not going to, that she wants to run, she's going to win because what you would need to do is you would need to have, first of all, it, it's, it, California is an overwhelmingly Democrat state, so that's just the reality. They are not going to elect a Republican anytime soon to the Senate. So if Dianne Feinstein says she's going to run again, what you would need to do is you would need to have a younger Democrat that challenges her. And what would the issue be? You'd be running on the fact that, oh, she's too old or she's losing it or all that sort of stuff. And that's a really tough argument to make to to voters and and that's the candidate that does that i mean you know you're going to alienate and not a lot of people who who love Diane Feinstein so if she i think you know if she decides that she wants to run again she's i think she's got a good chance of of winning and she's not while well, she hasn't declared it she's not willing to count herself out i'm just sitting there thinking okay whether it's whether it's Donald Trump at 78 or whether it's Charles Grassley in Iowa, if you want to make this a Republican, or whether it's Joe Biden thinking he's going to run again at the age of 82, or whether it's Dianne Feinstein thinking she's going to run again maybe at the age of 91. Isn't this just classic evidence of why, just like we have a minimum age requirement to be president, you have to be 35, shouldn't we have maximum age requirements as well? Because I don't care... I don't care what kind of medical marvel you are. The truth of the matter is, at a certain point in time, you start to slow down. It's very, very clear that Biden has started to slow down. Again, I don't mean to make this an attack on whether you agree with Biden's policies or not, but my question to Democrats would be, can't you can't you find somebody who'd be a better candidate who might be 20 or 25 years younger? What is it about an 82-year-old guy that thinks that he's, why would think that he's the only person that can do this job? Or even worse, an 89-year-old, soon to be, she'll be 91 if she runs again. At some point in time, you just got to say, it's time for people to go and enjoy the fruits of their labors. And I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, and if we need to make changes in the law, it's way past time to make changes in those laws. All right, Diane Feinstein going to run again. Give me strength. All right. There, over the last several years, I want to completely switch gears. I'm not going to talk about politics. I want to talk about consumer tastes. Over the last several years, 
One of the big developments has been an explosion in the craft beer industry. You know, when I was growing up, you, you know, you'd, you'd have you'd have small breweries, and then you'd have the large breweries. But most people were drinking Miller or Pabst or Budweiser or or whatever. And and those breweries had like um, like Pabst had a had a high end. They had a Undecker um, was their high end thing. And then they had Pabst beer, and then they had a couple of like their, their locale beers. Same thing was true. With Miller, same thing was true with Budweiser. You had Budweiser, you had Bud Light, you had Michelob, all those sort of things. Well, what happened a number of years ago is you had this explosion of, of craft breweries that, that rose up to compete with the, 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 big man, the big beer suppliers, and craft beer just took off. I mean, at, at first, you know, for example, around here in Milwaukee, you had Lakefront Brewery, you had um, the MKE Brewery. You, you had you had a handful of craft breweries, and then that handful of craft breweries, kind of like rabbits, began to just multiply. And now it seems like you've got a craft brewery that's almost on almost every block. What you're also seeing is that a number of these breweries, well, they're starting to to go under, in part because you've got the economic headwinds that are brought about by the pandemic and things like that. You've got the difficulty in getting your beers onto supermarket shelves because you know that's you, you can have your brewery, you can have your tap room, but the key to success is being able to convince the retailers to put your beer on supermarket shelves because that's where you sell uh, I mean a good portion of it. And you've got just the intense competition where it seems like, you know, like I say, every other week there, there's a new craft brewery that has opened up. On top of that, you have people's tastes who are, are changing. And there's a lot of people that gravitated towards craft beer that now maybe they're switching to other things. Maybe it's like the fizzy seltzers, seltzers or, or maybe it's, it's some of the craft liquors that are out there as well. Anyhow, there's a big story in the Chicago Tribune. Craft beer bubble burst? Not quite, but after years of growth in Chicago, and I would say in Milwaukee too, closures and headwinds arrive. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. We only got a couple minutes, but my question is this. Beer drinkers of Wisconsin, beer drinkers who are also listeners to WTMJ, the craft beer explosion that we have seen over the last several years, is it on the downside? And if so, why? Are consumers' tastes changing? Is there too much competition? Are the costs too much? What's going on, and what does the future like look like for craft beer around here? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Feliz Navidad. Okay, I mean, here's the numbers. Over the last 15 years, the number of breweries nationally grew from about 1,500 to nearly 10,000. That's a huge amount of growth. In Chicago, about 15 years ago, they had a dozen. Then they went to more than 250. And I, I think the same thing is true in Milwaukee, not quite those numbers. But what you're seeing is a lot of these craft breweries, they're, they're not going away, but but they're closing because... 
they, they can't sustain this type of growth. There's too much competition. Jeff, I love craft beer and would almost always pick that over a conventional domestic, but they are very strong, and I only like to drink them in draft form at a bar and not interested in bottles or cans. So, you know, you're not drinking it in 30-pack form, etc. Jeff, I think the craft beer market is oversaturated and overrated. Give me a quality imported beer any day. Um, No question about it. Jeff, no sign of slowing down at the breweries I visit or seek out in stores. Well, there's no question about it that there are there are some established breweries, for example, around here that I think are, are clearly here to stay. But it's how many new breweries can you support? Let's talk to Dan in Hortonville. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Unfortunately, I think it's just too much of a good thing. Um, I can remember in the 80s going down to Sprecher and the new concept of a right. microbrewery. You know, it's just right. it's from that it, from there it's just exploded, and I, you just can't even keep track of all the choices. Yeah, and and there's only I mean, and and plus I think what you're seeing as far as market taste, Dan, is that there. You, you can only grow the market so much. I mean, there's only so many craft beer drinkers that, that are out there. And you reach a certain point where, okay, let's say that that number is 100, and you're kind of maxing out around 100. Well, okay, if you've got five craft breweries to serve that 100 people, it's one thing. If you've got 50 to serve that 100 people, it's tougher and tougher unless you can continue growing the market. And I, I think they're at a point now where you, you, you can only grow the market so much. I agree, and I, it's a shame to see them go under because, you know, there's a lot of hard work and, and money invested, but I just think that, the you know, a market just cannot support such, yeah. right. such an extensive choice. No, no, thanks. For, I, I'm with you. Just like, I mean, you see restaurants come come and go. One of our texters makes an interesting point, Jeff. The PPP loans kept many restaurants and breweries surviving longer than they otherwise would have. Zombie businesses, eventually, I don't think that they can blame the pandemic on this. Jeff, it's just getting too expensive. Some six-packs are over $10, almost $20 for a 12-pack of beer, way too much. You know, it's interesting. There, there's a there's a certain type of craft beer, which is not made locally, that it only comes out once a year. I like it, but I, I like it in limited dose. And I went, I, I bought a six-pack of this, and it was, it was 16 bucks. And and I only buy one six pack a year, and that that will be enough. It's just okay. The, the new version is, but it was sixteen dollars, and I'm sitting thinking it's sixteen bucks for this. And and yes, I mean, how many idiots can you find to buy it? Well, okay, I was there. I, I liked it, but I buy one six pack a year, and it's kind of a, a treat. I'm not going to go back and buy it, you know, every week or things like that. But. I mean, how many more beers like that can you possibly have? Will places like Lakefront continue to thrive and survive because they were in early? Yeah, I think so. But for a lot of these new brew pubs and stuff that are starting, I think it's going to be a tough, tough um, climb. All right, when we come back, let's find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.